Star Trek, our favorite frontier. These are the podcasts of Aaron and Polly, their ongoing mission to explore all things Trek, to seek out cool things and pick them apart, to boldly complain as no one's complained before. And this is Paul. Welcome once again to Star Trek with Aaron and Polly. Uh, you know you're excited on. to be here. No, I to prepare for this podcast, I thought we were going to talk about how I spent the last few hours watching Gordon Ramsay videos on YouTube. Uh, did uh, you know Gordon Ramsay had a YouTube channel? I did not. So is this now is, you know? Is this Hell's Kitchen with Aaron and Polly? What are we doing? Well, you know. So can I, I say just, that I, I've never watched an episode of Hell's Kitchen ever? You're not missing much. Okay. I mean, I understand that shows like Hell's Kitchen and those types of things are what make Gordon Ramsay a household name. Right. But in reality, he's really not like a crazy, like, jerk person. Uh-huh. Um, so, I, un- I don't know. It popped up in my recommended feed for some reason on, on YouTube. Well, I think I think that we've got to make this Star Trek adjacent, right? So, what kind of captain would he be? Oh, Gordon Ramsay? He would be a... Hmm. Hmm. I feel like he would be like um, the Mirror Universe captain that started on Discovery, uh-huh. played by Jason Isaac. Uh-huh. What was his name? Lorca. Yeah. He would be very Lorca with more F-bombs. You know, that's a, that's actually really interesting. Can you imagine, uh, you know, <laughs> if you compare and contrast the crew in season four versus the crew in season one, can you just imagine all the huggy-feely uh, you know, uh, trauma sharing uh, of, the, of the of the crew in season four with Lorca. <laughs> you know, it, it is kind of funny. You know, now, now that you mention it, yeah. Um, and moving away from Gordon Ramsay with his twenty million YouTube followers, that's a lot of YouTube um, followers. How many millions of YouTube follow, followers do we have? Eight thousand. <laughs> Eight thousand million. Eight thousand million. You know. Now that you mentioned it, it is an interesting contrast. If uh-huh. you were to revisit Discovery Season 1, it is cold. Yeah. It is dark. Yeah. It is full of characters angry at each other. Very little feeling, very little emotion other than anger and despair in that first season of Discovery. And now that we're in Season 4 of Discovery, you're right. It is a much more touchy-feely discovery yeah i mean it's it's uh, there's a lot of warm fuzzies circulating around that bridge and mm-hmm. i just can't imagine that Lorca would have much of that no you know no. He, he has no time for that yeah well uh, you know you know how many shits he gives paul zero zero shits that's how many shits zero. Lorca if, gives. if you if you were to go into the captain's quarters and look in the captain's quarter toilet uh-huh zero yeah yeah, Zero none of, there are none. Shites. Yeah, no. you can't count them because there aren't any there. Yeah, he gives yeah. none. It's a null like, are value. Are they invisible? No, a, a null nothing. value is what we're saying. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I don't know why that tickles me so much. But yeah, it's a that's a huge change that this show has made in the last yes. four years or in the last four seasons, I should say. Yeah. Um, you know, and I I don't know. It could be me. It could be you. It's probably you. Um, but I don't know if that's for better or for worse. And perhaps, you know, maybe we're just some of those fans that you can't please us regardless. Oh, but I can be pleased. It generally, you know, involves, you know, liquor and, uh, cigars and, uh, perhaps some sort of genital touching. Uh, okay. Well, but, but yes, I well, can. Speaking be of all of those things. <laughs> Um, you know, I don't know if you were aware, just on a side note before we talk about the last two episodes of Star Trek Discovery, um, Star Trek Wines, uh, for those of you who are listening to this and are unaware, which, why would you be unaware of StarTrekWines.com, um, has a number of options, and I actually got a friend, um, some bottles for, not you, sorry. Yeah, this is hurtful. A different friend. This is hurtful. (laughs) (laughs) A different friend. Um... For uh, for Christmas, a, a couple of bottles. So, you know, for those of you who are unaware of Star Trek wines, they, they have a bunch of different wines. I think they started with the Klingon Blood Wine. They have um, released a United Federation of Planets Old Vines Infidel, a Chateau Picard Bordeaux. Um, but during the holidays, they actually released an Andorian Blue Chardonnay and a Cardassian Canar. Hopefully, hopefully I pronounced that yeah, right. Red Black. I got that. Um, and yeah, it's actually a blue Chardonnay. So I mean, I, I'm sure it's not going to, you know, as we record this on the anniversary, the anniversary of the opening of Star Trek: The Experience in Las Vegas, where you could get uh, your Klingon blood wine and your Vulcan. What was the blue thing? Oh, Romulan ale. Romulan ale. Yeah. Um, you know, this is neither of those, but they do have a blue Chardonnay from uh, Andorian. So the uh, that would be from Andor. Uh, Andor, the Canar the, uh, is it thickened because you know Cardassian Canar is thick, unpleasantly so. Well, it says it's a red blend, so perhaps they lightly blend it, and it is, and also disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I see them pour Canar on Deep Space Nine, I'm like, hoo, hoo, hoo. I don't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. It's it's, it's too much like drinking Play-Doh. <laughs> it's just gross, <laughs> or Odo for that matter. <laughs> drinking Odo? Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, you know, yeah. he, he sometimes he sleeps in a bucket. Yeah, you know, fair. He has fair, to revert fair. to his liquid state. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of gnarly. I, so, so, I mean, d- we're d- not sponsored by them, but check out StarTrekWines.com and uh, leave us a comment or a voicemail to let us know if you got them. So, Paul, 2022 is set to be a great and fantastic year for Star Trek. Did you know that? Did you know that it's going to be a it's going to be a huge year, a huge year? Huge. I did not know that. Well, you know, you should have because uh, you're on a Star Trek podcast. But uh, oh, well, that's why we, that's why I'm on a Star Trek podcast. <laughs> so you can learn with things. you, yeah. So you can tell me. So I obviously, you know, anyone who's listened to us for any length of time at all knows that I am deeply, deeply excited for Strange New Worlds, and that's finally going to come out this year. I think they're thinking April. Of this year. Okay. Um, we did hear originally that Star Trek Picard Season 2 was going to debut sometime in February. But given the surprise hiatus that Star Trek Discovery has gone on, because we were originally given to believe that it was just going to be one new episode of Star Trek you know, every week until it was done, 
Um, and you know, they're, they're not due back until February. Uh, I am given to suspect, even though Paramount hasn't said anything that, uh, Star Trek Picard gets bumped a little bit, which also suggests to me that strange new worlds will get bumped. Um, have we, uh, have we gotten any type of confirmation or explanation as to why the hiatus, because we certainly were not aware and, you know, perhaps they don't need an explanation. Maybe they always planned it and just didn't communicate it that way. I don't. But. I don't think that that was their plan. I suspect that there was some kind of you know production delay with special effects or music or something. Um, it surprised me, and I think it surprised everybody else too. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know because that was certainly not what uh, we had been given to believe. Uh, now the good news is is uh, Star Trek Prodigy is back this week, uh, and you know Paul, you and I talked about the uh, premiere of that, which was a two part episode. Uh, mm-hmm. They characterize it as episodes one and two, um, and neither one of us were really dazzled by it. We thought there was some good production value, but it didn't feel like Star Trek. Well, over the holidays, I watched episodes three through five, and let me tell you, from episode three on, that show gets a whole lot better. Really? Yeah. Okay. So I think I saw episode three. So just to confirm, is episode three where the the lead character Doll? Um, I'm sorry, Doll. The the character. Dahl. Yeah. Yeah, and so he's like, "Oh, I'm the captain. I'm the yes. captain," and he screws up, and they almost die, and Janeway has to holograph Janeway has to save them, kind of thing. Yes, that was okay. uh, episode three. Yes. So I and it's been a little while, dear listener. So that was the last episode that I saw. Yeah, it's still a kiddie show. You know, this isn't aimed okay. at you and I, uh, but I it felt a lot more Star Trek to me. Um, and I gotta say, I am particularly excited about this week's episode, which apparently has uh, the character or characters going through the Kobayashi Maru. Hmm. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm there for that. <laughs> you know, I will totally be on. And I got to tell you, and I think we, we talked about this in our review of the first two episodes. I really dig the uh, show title theme. Um, I do too. I think, I think it's the, the graphics are well produced and I just love the actual theme to the show. Uh, it, instead of tipping its hat towards original series or other of the nineties shows, uh, it tips its hat towards, uh, Star Trek 2009 and the Michael Giacchino theme. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. and I just, I really like that callback. Uh, it is, I, I find it a very enjoyable, uh, theme and, uh, I like the opening title credits. I think that's, it's really sharp. I gotta say, uh, there are things that, that continue to annoy me about the ship itself, like the staircase in the ship. Uh, we've never seen that in a Star Trek show before, and I'm just a little... It, the design aesthetic is so close to what we saw in Voyager, it just surprises me that there'd be this sort of grand staircase uh, in the ship. But, you know, I guess it works well. And one thing I will say, and I complain about this in a lot of animation, is that there is a lot, a lot of times in uh, animation there is poor use of space. Uh, that you don't get a sense of the environment that you know that, that your space is confined, that it's limited, and that's one of the complaints I've had about Star Trek Discovery in the use of the AR wall or shots on the bridge because the bridge is ridiculously large. Um, I feel like the use of space, the direction on this show, is much better than a lot of other animated uh, uh, shows that I've seen. Um, not like television shows, but like animated features from like DC. 
but I, I've been very impressed with the design aesthetic, uh, the direction. Uh, it's it's been it's there are elements that you're like, oh, that that graphic got a little rushed. Uh, but it, there's a lot of money on the screen. I'm, I'm very impressed with the design. Yeah, you know, there's a couple of things that you said that I want to uh, to address. Uh-oh. Eric. Calls com- coming at, come at me, Paul. Come at Hold me. Hold on, I have to move the microphone <laughs> to an appropriate <laughs> dispute level. Oh, dear. <clears throat> no, not dispute. Um, so, one, let me tackle uh, your topic of, you know, the rushed visuals. And we've already addressed, like, discovery, the, the un- the unforeseen hiatus, at least as far as yeah. we're concerned. Um, so I watch SEAL Team on CBS. We've talked about this yeah. as well. well I'm sorry, also, with David Boreanaz. David Boreanaz, SEAL Team. <laughs> and so, you know, we, we've talked about how SEAL Team moved from CBS to Paramount+. Plus. It's yeah. no longer airing on CBS. And they instantly said, hey, you know, now that we're on streaming, we're just going to drop F-bombs left oh, and yeah. right. It was, it was like, whoa, hold on, hold on. What happened? Uh, I'm not used to this. I, w- I went four seasons without an F-bomb, and now they're dropping them all the uh-huh. time. But I've gotten used to it. Now we're, we're, we're probably a solid six episodes in. Bam! They took an unsolicited or unforeseen hiatus as well. Huh. And, you know, your comments about the rushed prodigy, I'm – and, um, you know, right before we podcasted, dear listener, we were talking about uh, 1883, um, the new Taylor Sheridan show. And, um, you know, we haven't talked about Mayor of Kingstown either because I know you're not a fan, but that took a couple weeks off Mm -hmm. as well. And I find it interesting that, you know, on these streaming services, there seems to be now I don't follow all of these shows on Instagram or social media or whatever, but there seems to be like these random breaks like Mayor of Kingstown took a random two week break during the holidays. And Mm -hmm. I understand when that stuff happens on a regular televised tv show like hey the, the the episode would normally come out on christmas day but we're not you know we're going to take a break that day um but i find it unusual when streaming services are do that without announcing it first i find it unusual particularly over the last two years when folks are more at home now than they have been previously you know mm-hmm. it, it seems a strange choice to limit entertainment options when folks are more likely to watch something on television uh, during this period. Uh, I, I mean, I get it on broadcasting in a normal circumstance. You know, you're not going to, when you're, when you're whole, when you're built on ratings, right. Uh, you don't want to, you know, spend money on broadcasting something fresh when you're going to have limited people there to watch it. But, you know, this business is built on subscribers, it is. And, you know, subscribers generally feel like, oh, I'm getting me some of that Star Trek. It's going to be there on Thursday when I'm used to watching it. And mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't it, it's not there this week. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's weird to me. It's a, it's a strange it is, choice. You know, and, and also, you know, for these Taylor Sheridan shows. And I, right now what I'm doing is I'm backdoor piloting our Taylor Sheridan <laughs> podcast. Um, so, you know, if you, if you want to hear us talk about Yellowstone or 1883, or I'll talk about Mirror of Kingstown because Aaron won't. Well, Last I can talk to, talk to you about the first three episodes. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Let, let us know, because we would love to talk about that stuff with you guys. Uh, but that being said, you know, I, I find it interesting when there's random breaks. You know, I, I'm used to that in YouTube. I'm used to that on broadcast television. But in streaming services, you know, you, you get into that weekly cadence where you drop it all at once. Or in the case of Paramount Plus and these Taylor Sheridan shows, 
they don't necessarily drop at midnight right. Pacific. Right. Um, they may drop at 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. That's weird. I, it is weird because, yeah. you know, sometimes they won't, you know, well, 1883 won't drop until after or the same time that Yellowstone uh, airs on Paramount Network. It's, it's an interesting choice. It, it, this is something that is specific to, like, Amazon and to Paramount+. Plus. You don't mm-hmm. see you don't see Hulu or uh, Netflix doing this shit. Agreed. Know? And that's what it's it's like the mature streamers don't play those kind of games. But you know, Prime and uh, Paramount Plus haven't quite figured out the 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 space yet. I think. You know, and I'm wondering. I don't know why that is, and I think honestly, I think it's a couple of different things. One, when it comes to Paramount or Peacock, I think does. I don't know. I don't watch a ton of stuff on Peacock, so I don't know how what they do. But, um, you know, I, I know uh, Paramount and Prime, like mm-hmm. you said, with shows like The Boys, Wheel of Time um, and the shows that we're talking about today, Discovery and Prodigy. You know, they, they release those one episodes. And I'm wondering if it's really just a, fa- a matter of. We don't have it all ready, but we want to get content out now. Right. Uh, Disney well, Plus would be a similar, you know, Disney Plus does the same thing with obviously Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett and all their Marvel shows. They release one episode at a time, which I will tell you, if I don't hate it um, because it allows me time to, I feel like it's a lot easier to watch one episode of a TV show a week than, and, and avoid spoilers. Like, it, it, for example, if Hawkeye, had dropped all eight episodes or six episodes on one day, I feel like I I would be hard pressed to have watched all six hours of Hawkeye before the internet spoiled it for me. Well, you know, I um, I have to so say I think there's a, a certain benefit to it. I kind of like it being doled out uh, because I hate feeling the pressure that I've got to watch it all right now, right? Um, because I, that's sometimes like when they were doing the Marvel shows on Netflix, I'm like, God, I got I've got to hurry up and blast through this before someone ruins the ending for me, right? Um, So I do kind of appreciate that they're rationing my entertainment. I just don't like the skip. I don't like the hiatus. And I think what it comes comes to is, you know, you don't generally get that with Disney+. Plus. Disney has has it all in the can. They're just Mm going to give you your tasty treat once a week. Um, What I think what's happening with Prime is, uh, Prime and uh, Paramount+, Plus is that they're ki- they kind of have a DC Comics mentality. I'm sorry, let me correct that. A Marvel Comics mentality. In that we've got a finished product, we're going to go ahead and ship it out, whether or not we have the other episodes ready. Right? But, but they want to go ahead. They don't, they're not going to let anything sit on the shelf. That's long been a Marvel concept that they, you know, if it's done, it goes out. You know, we don't care that we're coordinating with, you know, 900 other things coming out this month or 900 other things coming out from the competition. If it's done, it goes out the door. Um, You know, I I, I feel like Disney, Netflix, Hulu kind of have a, you know, a gallo wine perspective that will serve no wine before it's time. Uh, mm-hmm. And they'll they'll wait until it's all done, and then you know either drop it off in continuous weeks or drop it all together. Whereas you're seeing these less mature uh, streamers give you what they got, knowing that they'll have a hiatus at some point. Because I think the hiatus is production related. I don't think it's got anything to do with the holidays. No, I, agree. I think they're leaning <laughs> on the holidays because that's what folks are used to. You know, they they're yeah, used to that perhaps, in the broadcast you know, experience. 
Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I think, like you said, they're, they're, they know folks are used to breaks during the holidays. Now, that being said, Discovery just took a break right. for January. And I do think that – I don't think those episodes are ready. I think when it comes to some of these shows, what we're going to see – and I think we'll probably see it with upcoming shows like Strange New Worlds. We're already seeing it with Prodigy is that um, I think Paramount Plus and Disney Plus and some of these other you know properties, Prime, I think one of the things they are – hard pressed to supply is original content that that is appointment television Mm -hmm. yeah right i think when it comes to netflix netflix has enough of a catalog and is willing to buy foreign properties european properties you know canadian shows whatever to have just a steady stream of content they're also willing to operate at an operating loss Mm -hmm. right i mean netflix operates at a loss (laughs) pretty much constantly um I think with these other, you know, streaming services, one, they're not willing to operate at a loss, um, and two, they are, they need something to come out every week because they don't have original movies or movies that they've purchased or TV shows from, you know, foreign countries that they can drop that are that are things that people sign up for, talk about on social media, which is really a tr- nowadays, you know, just as much as as your viewership is how much are people talking about it on YouTube or Instagram or Twitter. Um, and I think they, they, they need stuff like that. And I think, you know, sometimes you hit, sometimes you hit like a, a unicorn, or I don't want to call it a unicorn, but sometimes <laughs> you hit the, the jackpot, right, right? right? You get a Yellowstone, you get a squid game. It's not like Netflix paid for, you know, like produced squid game. You know, they purchased a show that was already being produced, and they slap um, their Netflix banner on it. And they slap the Netflix banner yeah. on it. But, you know, when you think about some of these shows, and alternatively, sometimes you get a mayor of Kingstown. No one talks about mayor of Kingstown online, right? You know, I think it, it, it really just depends on, you know, how do you engage your audience, but having a steady stream of content. And I think Paramount Plus, even with their investment in Taylor Sheridan and, and great shows, which we're going to talk about on our Taylor Sheridan podcast, Um, you know, and even with Star Trek, they don't have Paramount Plus itself, I should say, doesn't have the grasp on social media that I think they want. No, no. And I think part of the, and I think that's why you have your weekly releases, why they release things before the full season is ready to be dropped simultaneously is they're really trying to grasp onto Talk about our show every Thursday. Uh-huh. Talk about our show every Sunday. Um, because when Witcher came out, everyone talked about it. When Squid Game came out, everyone talked about it. You know, when a new episode of Yellowstone on Paramount Network comes out, everyone talks about it. But 1883, outside of that first episode, no one talks about it, right? And I think when it comes to Discovery, you know, and it, I think it's one of those things that, you know, there's obviously folks like us. You know, a, a certain subset of, of the fandom that, that talks about it. But is it is it really hitting social media as much as they want? And I think, you know, so when it comes to Paramount Plus, yeah, they're taking a break now, but they have some other shows that will fill that gap during January. And, you know, I, I, like you said, Prodigy just kicked back off in the interim 
And I think by the time Prodigy wraps up, we'll have Discovery again. And when Discovery yeah. wraps up, we'll have Picard, and then we'll have Strange New Worlds, etc. I think that's. I exactly think they're, they're trying to work. really have that steady content and steady grasp on the social media yeah. Twitter sphere. Yeah, you know, I, they have always said they always they they want to have you know fresh Star Trek on every quarter. And if you're doing thirteen we thirteen episode arcs, that's how you make sure you have uh, fresh content every week. Uh, you know, throughout the year, um, they're finally getting to that point, right? You know, you're, we're, we're going to finish up Discovery after we finish up Discovery. We'll roll into Picard. After Picard, we'll go into Strange New Worlds. And after that, I'm assuming, you know, and with Prodigy interspersed throughout that, we'll probably roll back into Lower Decks and then be right back to another another season of, Dis- of Disco. And Picard, so. for that matter, because the, they're already shooting. I think they're already shooting Disco again, and they're are, they're already shooting Picard again. Because mm-hmm. they, they were shooting Picard uh, consecutively, seasons two and three. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I I, I assume that you know we're gonna you know rock out most of twenty two twenty two with fresh Star Trek every week, as long as things go the way they want them to go. But Paul, yes, sir, we gotta talk about that stormy weather. Well, I mean. It did snow quite a bit yesterday in Virginia, <laughs> to the point that people were stuck in their cars for 15 hours. I heard that on the news. Were you on I-95 yesterday? <laughs> I was not. Yeah. I was about two hours away from I-95 in my comfy pants. Well, um, obviously, the stormy weather I'm talking about is uh, the ballad that uh, Computer Zora sings to Michael Burnham, and that is the title of uh, of uh, one of the episodes that we're talking about today. Oh, yeah, Star Trek. Hmm. Yeah. Who knew? Uh, the Star Trek. Yeah, so last week's episode, or, yeah, at this point of the recording, so, well, last Stormy Weather was the episode before last week, right? Because we, we, there's there's but to connect, which is uh, the oh well, yeah that was last week yeah yeah the days all run together during I the holidays know, people I know. Um, all right so two weeks ago we had uh, stormy weather which mm-hmm. featured um, you know the the a rather interesting premise where discovery has essentially jumped or moved into for lack of a better way of saying it, almost the eye of the storm mm-hmm. as it relates to the DNA and and figuring out how they can take um, measurements or, you know, to kind of do some analysis within the eye of the storm of, of what the DNA could possibly be. Uh, but meanwhile, and, and perhaps most importantly to the episode, is that Zora Discovery's uh, computer mm-hmm. has, has chosen its own name, yeah. Zora. That's not creepy at all. Not creepy at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and we've seen some of this in the uh, Star Trek anthology show, the short treks um, that start that Zora. You know, there, there was a far flung future episode at this point, not so far flung in the future of Star Trek Discovery, uh, where there was a, a man who was saved by Zora and Zora kind of fell in love with this stranded passenger. And we've always kind of wondered, hey, when is that going to happen? Mm-hmm. Like, how is how does that work? Well, it feels like it's coming soon because Zora has now essentially gained sentience. Yeah. Um, and we see that in this episode and certainly more so even in But to Connect, um, a Star Trek Discovery. Discovery takes a, takes a, a beating. You know, they're, they're in the, the eye of the storm, as, as Paul calls it. And there's, there's something there that's eaten, you know, matter that's inside the, the eye of the storm. In fact, one of the ship's dots, the... 
you know, little Zora-controlled uh, robots uh, that go out and service the ship gets consumed, and we get to hear it scream as it dies. And nobody seems to comment on that very much. Nobody seems to say, hey, did we just send out a sentient being out there to be, you know, mangled and destroyed? Because I, 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 the question that I had in that was that Zora who is feeling it because her consciousness is in it, or are the dots independently intelligent from Zora? And nobody mm. poked at that at all. You know, Yet. Zora, did that hurt you? Or was that something else? I did find that interesting that Zora wasn't like, hey, uh, that's my kid. Yeah. Yeah. He killed. Um, but, you know, I think Zora is still figuring her stuff out. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was I was sad to see the little dot die, you know, especially because we've grown to love those dots in the uh, lower decks. Right. Right. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, so, you know, the, something is eating away inside the DMA, mm-hmm. um, almost like you're within acid uh that that it eats away at you know it's eating away at discovery shields it's eating away at the dots yep. um and on top of that it's almost like the interior of the dma or you know I, I shouldn't say this is the interior of the dma but you know it's certainly you know kind of in in this space that that is affected by the dma is almost like you're in a black hole uh-huh there's no matter there's yeah. no substance there's no direction it's it is the absence of anything um you know, we don't exactly find out what happens at this point. You know, the, the episode turns into how do we get out of here? Yeah. More so than it turns into an explanation of that. Yeah. Um, now, what I found it. So this was the episode. We talked about this in last episode of, of Star Trek with Aaron and Pauly, directed by Jonathan Frakes, mm-hmm. who starts off the episode with some interesting stylistic uh, moments where the crew is. You know, he, he has these swipes, mm-hmm. you know, where, where the camera swipes left, swipe, you know, the, you swipe right, swipe up, swipe down, you know, shows how the crew is affected by what's happening. Um, and, you know, unfortunately does abandon some of those stylistic things for the more house style for the rest of the episode. But I thought it was interesting how it started. I enjoyed all of that camera work. I uh, did, too. I wish it had stuck, but yeah. I understand why it didn't. It, it wasn't, you know, necessarily necessary yeah. for the rest of the episode, but it was kind of a shame that it's like, oh, this is fun, and then it was so, just for like the first ten minutes. So because no Star Trek with Aaron and Polly episode would be complete without me completely crapping all over the episode. Um <laughs> <laughs> Oh no! Don't don't get me wrong. It wasn't great, but well, I will say I, before I before I, I begin my complaint, um, I will say it was it was the uh, in my opinion the the best episode of the season so far. But I'd agree. that's not a big stretch. Um, no, you know because the I, I feel like the season has been wildly off course. Mm-hmm. But what drove me crazy about this episode, number one, is they they wind up in this space where suddenly they they don't have a star to get their bearing they they can't get a reading on on how they got out and one of the things that they that they initially say to Detmer is well were you tracking did you track our course in so that we can repeat it out oh no i i didn't do that and i'm like the fuck don't so you first of all don't why doesn't the computer do that automatically exactly is it just hit control z detmer yeah, my car does that <laughs> undo yeah my my car tracks my course from where i left to where i'm going i can go back and look at at, at that in progress so that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me but moreover they really struggle with how they're going to get out of here and i mean within a moment i said well just fire off a ping 
You know, I've watched enough submarine movies to know that, you know, use some sonar, ping out your, your uh, you know, do, do some like echolocation kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it takes them most of the show to figure that out. Yes. I haven't been to Starfleet Academy. <laughs> you know, I, I but I but I've watched Hunt well, for Red Well, to be fair, I don't know how many of them have been either. Fair. Fair. But you know, I've watched Hunt for Red October a, n- a number of times as well as Crimson Tide and other submarine movies. I know how this works. You ping that <laughs> shit. I don't <laughs> get ping. it. One ping only, Vasily. Well, uh, and I think <laughs> go ahead. No, I'm just saying that, that I fi- I found the problem solving hyper frustrating uh, well, because I, you know, I expect I expect our characters in Starfleet to be smarter than me. You would think so. Yeah. Um, but, you know, one of the things I will say is I found the solution just as frustrating. Oh, that we're going like, to put everybody in the transporter buffer except Burnham, who's got to sit on the bridge and burn up. Yeah. Because, again, well, she's Michael that, Burnham. You know, they're like, put them in the pattern buffer or whatever. Yeah. I'm like the hell are you talking about yeah and you know they and here and you know aaron explained it in five seconds Uh uh-huh oh the transporter buff you know the transporter whatever you call Uh it um they don't really explain what that is no and that's because they are so focused on this shorthand that they've enabled where i mean number one we don't even go to the transporter room anymore we just transport you know uh using our our personal devices and this is how Wally happens, people. You exactly. don't even have to walk. You just well, and they they, they don't even walk from room to room. How many times do you? See, the only time we see Michael Burnham actually walk in this episode is when she's doing her dramatic walk down the corridor in her spacesuit, you know, with the sparks falling from the ceiling. As, it feels unnecessary. Feels yeah, like she could have just transported into the spacesuit. Well, it, it, <laughs> it was so frustrating and. You know, she sits on the bridge, which is, you know, got to be one of the, you know, because it's in such a forward position, it is uh, vulnerable in my estimation. Why wasn't a case made that, well, there there are better shielded places that she can be and still be able to interact and maintain uh, command control functionality with Zora? Why did she have to be so vulnerable on the bridge? I also don't know why she... So... She didn't do anything. I, you know, and, I, and they I think didn't, that's one they, of my interesting. Fr- and perhaps it's just because she said she even said the captain goes down with the bridge. Right? I think there was um, an understand there. There was an undercurrent there of suspicion of Zora that she needed to remain outside of the transporter buffer to make sure Zora did what they needed her to do. Now no, that's, that's never explicitly stated in the show, and I, and I think you know you got to read the subtext there, and maybe I'm just imagining that. But that was my thought was that she she felt like since Zora has developed feelings and it's such a new thing, at some point Zora might might decide that this wasn't the best course, and she needed to make sure that Zora stayed on mission. Fair point. And that could, I mean, like you said, it wasn't explicitly stated, just like the actual solution of, of hiding within the transporter yeah. buffer or whatever. Again, you know, I, well, and I, the, it would, they're like, you know, put them in the pattern buffer. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, yeah, there was and that like, passing. Where did everyone go? There was that passing reference to Scotty uh, without calling him Scotty. They said, you know, uh, a, 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 a Starfleet officer did this back in the 24th century. Oh, yeah, years, yeah, yeah. Like, okay. But, but, here's my, here's, but here's if you don't know that episode of Next Generation, if you don't know that, that doesn't mean anything to you. I mean, that's fan service for me. But yeah. if you're new to Star Trek, you don't know what that's about. 
But here's the thing: if the ship had disintegrated, wouldn't they all? Yeah, they'd, they'd all they'd all go down with the ship. They'd all go down with the ship. So what was the point? I guess just to do to remove distractions from Zora. Well, I think that the um, point was that. <laughs> They were afraid that people wouldn't be able to survive because they didn't think that e- that uh, even in spacesuit that that uh, Michael would survive. But if the- yeah, but if the ship goes down, they die too. Like I guess my you know it was an interesting for me. I guess the the ship could still get through even if Michael did. Well, and I, I think they I, thought know, that it was a solutions that doesn't really make a ton of sense. No, no, particularly not the way it was and how much damage Discovery enjoyed. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean the the. I think they should stop making uh, Star Trek hardware out of such flammable materials. Flammable, combustible, <laughs> right? explosive materials. I mean, because all of the, the flame and explosions and whatnot on on the bridge are just ridiculous. And nobody, nobody ever picks up a damn fire extinguisher. Do you notice that? No one's ever like, oh, we got to put this shit out. They just work in the flames. And that is an OSHA <laughs> violation, my friend. Yes. <laughs> they, OSHA yes, will shut is. your ass down. You need to write a strongly worded letter. A strongly um, worded letter. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think so. The episode it had some good moments. It was well directed. Um, it was, it, like you said, it was one of the better episodes this season, and certainly better than the three episodes we talked about last time we were on the mics. But for me, it's still. But you know, it frustrated me in that they it wasn't. I don't need Star Trek to explain everything to me. Right. But to your point about the shorthand, I also kind of needed to make sense. And, you know, even the basest of questions kind of took me out of the moment. I'm like, okay, where is everyone going? What is a pattern buffer? Well, like, and this was the episode where Gray has a heart-to-heart with Zora, right? Over no, Gray. I think that's the following episode. I don't think so, because this was the episode, because the crisis was going on, right? And she couldn't, Zora was... Uh, yeah, you're right, you're right, okay. So, you know, here's Gray alone in the, the uh, down in the, the bar, and, you know, playing, you know, trill chess with the, uh, with the, the, the AI, and finally gets a scene that's worth watching. You know, that Gray is figuring some stuff out and Gray actually, you know, has, you know, a moment in, in this episode, which I thought was really nice to see Gray doing something other than than smiling at people and, and yeah, having will, your you know, earnest. Especially after moments. our complaints. Yeah. Right. You know, we, we, we certainly, you know, we complained the last episode like, hey, you know, Gray has nothing to do. You, you spent all this time, you know, making him a synth, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, OK. Yeah. They, they found that Gray in his loneliness as the only other person other than Booker or book who's on the ship with, uh, without a Starfleet, mm-hmm. uh, you know, without having gone to Starfleet Academy, um, it's nothing to do when everyone's at work. Gray just sits in the lounge right. doing nothing. And so, you know, he finds a moment to connect with Zora and you see that Zora, uh, in this episode with the absence of distraction or with less distractions with her ability to focus on playing chess with right. Gray. Um, she is able to, to, be more effective and yeah i mean i I found that especially after our complaint i i did appreciate that they found a use for gray Uh before immediately taking him out of the ship off the table right in the following following episode episode. yeah Yeah. but yeah let's talk about gray for just a moment um Mm -hmm. i feel like in star trek the next generation uh, the the showrunners were really good about communicating what data the android 
uh, was like. You know, you, you got to see you know episodes where like they'd open up his arm and you could see that he was you know hardware. Uh, they'd peel open the side of his head and you could see all the like little port connections and whatnot. And you really had a sense that you know he he is a walking computer that he is he is you know electronics and pieces parts. Mm-hmm. I have a sense, you know, that the Picard-style Android now, uh, the Sung Picard-style Android, is Wetworks. You know that that it's more like an alien uh, or aliens type of android that's all white and gooey inside. You know, is is yeah. Gray going to get shot at some point, and he's going to be you know spewing milk all over everybody like uh, like the aliens and like the androids and alien and aliens? Is that is that what the, what this is? Is that how he's built? I mean, hopefully that would be pretty cool. Um, <laughs> but you know, that being said, I think one of the so you know, kind of talking about both episodes, it was frustrating to me. Just the like, second episode, you're talking about, but to connect. But to connect, yeah. It was frustrating to me to finally see some usefulness behind Gray's storyline come to fruition just for them. And perhaps, you know, it's just like Tilly. I feel like perhaps they realized this character has received the arc that we wanted to tell with them. And now we just need to take them off the table. Well, You know, just shuffle them off. And, you know, I, I don't know if that's... I feel like perhaps that's a symptom of Discovery being more plot-driven and character driven and i know that you know it's focused on the touchy feely but each season has a an overall arc of control or the dma right. or something right. and i feel like you know unlike next generation or deep space nine or some of those other shows you know the, the characters could continue even if even if even if odo had received closure mm-hmm. for you know his origin, his species, they still found a usefulness for him within the context of, of the stories that they were telling for the remainder of a Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I feel like perhaps Discovery is taking these folks off the table because they're like, eh, you know, like we don't really have anything to, for them to do. Well, and I feel like when you when, when you know they got together and they created shows like Star Trek The Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, etc., they sat around and said, "What are what kind of stories are we going to tell with these characters?" You know, they had they had show bibles, and they they would give examples of the types of stories episodically that we're going to have with these characters. I feel like that exercise hasn't been performed with this new bunch of characters that we've gotten in Star Trek Discovery. I don't feel like they charted a real course for uh, Gray or for Adira. Am I getting that name right? Is it Adira? It is. Okay. Yes. Um, it didn't sound right. But uh, I, I, I honestly, I, I feel like their characters have been at such loose ends that the writers just didn't know what to do with them. In fact, it felt like uh, I, writers created these characters, left the show, and the writers that came in had to solve problems for them. Uh, I don't know that that was the case, but boy, that is exactly what it's felt like. It has. You know, and I think just like we were talking about with Gray, it's it's like immediate. Yeah. Right. Gray got a body a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. was taken off the table for a few weeks, had a useful episode immediately taken off the yeah. table in the next episode. Well, um, and, and uh, you know, in in one circumstance, I don't understand why 
why uh, Gray has to leave the ship since everyone can communicate instantaneously from across the galaxy. I think I might have said that last time, but they haven't made yeah. the case for why he's got to leave to do that because the Guardian that visited the ship was there virtually and seemed to be able to move Gray's soul into the android body remotely. I don't get it. Well, also, as Gray is the first person on the ship to have connected, uh-huh. With Zora on a personal level, right. I mean, literally the first person on the ship to to see through Zora beyond being just computer, yeah, and 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 find a usefulness for Zora to the point that without Gray they wouldn't have gotten out of that you know sh- you know a-, a struggle in that in that previous episode, right? Um, that you take Gray off the ship instead of maybe indoctrinating him into Starfleet, yeah. Or, or something, you know, to, to make him useful. I found that interesting. Uh, and I found that an interesting choice. But, you know, to be fair, I am questioning the decision making of one Captain Burnham, uh, you know, and I don't know why I should, considering Captain Burnham, to our prior discussions, has somehow let her boyfriend on the ship on away missions and in the most recent episode of Star Trek Discovery, but to connect somehow Booker book, excuse me, finds his way into a Starfleet like all ambassador meeting to discuss the DMA and not only in the meeting, but also speaking in the meeting. And I watched that episode and I'm like, I mean, does book have top secret security clearance? Like why is he in that? Why is he allowed to be there? Like, I, I, is he perhaps allowed in that room as a sole representative of his race from an ambassador standpoint? But, like, I feel like there that's an official title, not like a default title just because everyone died. Like, I was like, wow, like, that dude is in the room with the most powerful people in all of the galaxy. At, at least it seems like he should have uh, been wearing some kind of credentials, you know, visitor's badge or something like that <laughs> yeah, to be able exactly. to. Because, I mean, you're absolutely right. It made no sense for, for him to be there. And the fact that he can just transport himself up onto the dais and talk at any moment. I mean, yeah. the hell. You know, where's Starfleet, security? I mean, they, they have really lacked security 900 years in the future. Yeah, I found that very interesting. You know, we've, we've struggled. I've struggled with Book being on away missions and sometimes being the only person right. on away mission for Starfleet, uh, for Star Trek, um, for Discovery. And I, 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 I find that for me, perhaps they know that fans are asking it because basically – what happened in this episode is what I expected to happen when you when you let your boyfriend on the bridge. <laughs> well, you know, I got to tell you, that seems like one of the major issues they need to resolve this season is, I mean, I hope that the lesson we learn is that, you know, maybe there's a reason why our, you know, captains never dated the crew. Yeah. You know, and maybe there's a reason for that. And maybe that's maybe that's a value that. uh that Barnum needs to to embrace because it sure does make it hard when you've got your your significant other on the ship and you got to tell him, hey, butt the hell out. This ain't your thing. Yeah, to the point that the dude literally. So you know, in the episode, but to connect, we are in but to a, connect. A star, but to connect. But to connect. But but <laughs> to connect. I don't know. There's no. There's dot dot dot. It's about connect. connecting butts. That's what. It's about I connecting heard. butts. It's it's a human centipede episode of Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> um, you know, it's it, book 
you know, so Starfleet has brought on all the ambassadors or presidents of the, the different United Federation of Planets and, you know, even those who are not part of the, the Federation. And, you know, they, they are basically voting on how to handle the DMA in a very interesting multi-layer, um, you know, structure to to this room where everyone's like on there, there's like 10 levels of people talking and I'm like, how do you get to the top level versus the bottom level? Um, those are the shitty plants that no one cares about. Right. Uh, but you know, regardless book finds its way in the room. And so, you know, they, they book and the scientist who we have previously seen in, um, and I, I forget his name off the top of my head. Right. Same. I don't but, remember uh, you know, him either, but yeah, but that, but they, you know, they are, they are voting to destroy the DMA and Michael Barnum is like, well, hold on. We need, we need, if we can uncover the origins of the DMA, let's talk to the race that perhaps built it to understand, has it just gotten out of hand, right? Has it just, you know, gotten away from them? Like, what are the intentions? If the intentions are bad, then we can have that discussion. But the first, you know, first contact should not be because this is outside of the known galaxy, um, the DMA origin. We need to, we need to figure out what it is first before we just throw a bomb at it. Right. And, and so, you know, what we see in this episode is, this relationship issue because you let your boyfriend on the bridge, uh-huh. uh, you know, take over essentially this, this all important meeting where, where book is on one side of destroy it. And to the point that he's literally speaking in front of the United Federation of planets about it. Um, and Michael is representing Starfleet on the other side with now, maybe we should learn more. Um, I found this episode frustrating, Aaron. As, oh, yeah. if you can't tell. Yeah. I find it. I found it super frustrating that book was allowed a voice within that room. Yeah. Um, Without some he, explanation, there should there yeah. needed to be some exposition to explain what the hell his ability to just zap himself up there was ridiculous. Yeah. And I gotta say, you know, I <laughs> I understand that these kinds of things enable the story to move where the writers want it to go. But there that frequently I am frustrated in Star Trek it's like why why is the ship allowed to you know, why is the shuttle allowed to leave uh the hangar? Why is book ship able to just control and leave whenever the hell it wants. Yeah, right. Right. Why is because he's not a member of Starfleet? But well, again, on the flip side of that, why is he allowed in Starfleet meetings? Why well, is he allowed to, to, to hold office with the president? I just don't, Starfleet. I've never understand stood. I mean, all the way back to original series, you know, I feel like yeah. it, it is, it is a lame trick for the writer to, you know, to just, you know, fob that off. Oh, they got out there before they could en- enable security. Why isn't security always locked down? Shouldn't somebody on the bridge have to provide clearance to allow that kind of crap to happen? So that's one thing that drives me crazy. One. Yeah. But I, I am. We see the you know mad scientist doctor guy, you know, steals the spore drive from the Voyager. And I'm like, okay, so no one's locked down this top secret piece of equipment that, you know, on which lies the entire future of the Federation. The hell. Again, it, you know, the writer would argue that it's enabling the story. And I'm saying you didn't do enough writing to support what you did. Exactly. Because I I think think what what, what was a frustration for me, right? That they, they literally in a book and, and this mad scientist guy. You know, they, they, they run off with essentially what Starfleet's been working on since Discovery came to the future, which is a spore drive. And they just run off with it. Like, 
I'm like, and he's like, you know, let's go before anyone realizes it's gone. It, it for me, that was just, it was, you know, to your point, it felt like lazy writing more so than just convenient writing. And, and wouldn't it have been cool if the moment he, you know, beams over to bookship and we cut to the bridge, we get a security alert. Hey, someone stole the spore drive. You know, wouldn't that wouldn't it have been nice to be able to see that there are some competent people in Starfleet? Because that's the thing that always irritates me is that to make our discovery crew, the crew that we're watching on TV every week, seem capable and expert. Everybody else around them has to be idiots. Yep. And that's one of my problems that I have with the president. Uh you know, she I, when she first showed up at the beginning of the season, I assumed that this was a one-off, that we'd, we'd only hear about her, we wouldn't see her. I didn't realize she was going to be such an ongoing character and be the mission giver to... And quite frankly, should shouldn't be, right? I mean, that doesn't make sense. What the hell do you have Admiral of, Vance for? Of my head. I mean, I, yeah. I, I... I mean, the president doesn't send every... Right. You know, current, in current day, the president doesn't assign every Starfleet carrier their missions. Right. right? Like... That's no, what commanders are for. That's what that's admirals, what you, admirals are, for, you know? are for. And we've got when you've got such an exquisite actor like Oded Fair, you know, playing yeah. Admiral Vance, why not use him? And you know, no no digs on the president. I don't think they're writing well for her, but I have not been dazzled by her on on any episode. Yeah. And, and the whole time I'm like, this could have been a thing for Admiral Vance. <laughs> you know, could have yeah, could have seen know, him I'm, here. You've got you know, 19 I, other characters on this show. <laughs> For me, it's 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 frustrating because there's there's potential, uh, and I think we're you know especially in these last two episodes, both of them have potential mm-hmm. that and 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 decent acting and and good direction that were but in both situations they were undone by the writing, uh, and I feel like that's you know for Star Trek. What gives what gives Star Trek its longevity? Sure as shit, isn't the stylistic direction, right? Um, you know, it's the writing. It's the writing and the characters. Mm-hmm. And I feel like one, we're seeing good characters like Admiral Vance, like Tilly. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, Detmer and Owo, none of them are getting Detmer screen and Owo, time. Either not get, get, not yeah. given screen time or not given yeah. much to do. Yeah, and we're seeing writing that doesn't really even make the basest of sense for for what we need. Like, I don't need it to make a shit ton of sense. Yeah. But I need it to make enough sense that even an idiot like me doesn't question it. <laughs> you you know, know, we we want, we're ready to buy in, right? We're I eager am. to buy in. Just make it reasonable. Make Just give us something. So. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, clearly, Paul and I are, are uh, struggling with uh, Season 4 of Discovery, but we're going to continue. We're, we're still on yeah. this journey. Uh, we will uh, we will continue to watch. I'm going to convince Paul to watch some more Star Trek Prodigy so we can come back and talk to you again real soon. But in the interim, we want to know what you think about Star Trek Discovery. Give us a call, 972-763-5903. That number, once again, 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the show, you could win a coveted, valuable Ideology of Madness surprise. You can also hit us up on social media, IOMGeek, on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. What a deal. Well, Paul, brace yourself, because that Captain Hologram Janeway, she thinks you've got potential. I have potential? Yeah, yeah she does. She thinks you have potential. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know how to respond other than to agree. I agree, Hologram Janeway. You, yeah, you are, you are full of something. We're going to say it's potential. 
potential. <laughs> well, thank you guys for listening, and we will see you soon. Star Trek with Aaron and Polly is a production of IOMGeek.com. Have a question or comment? Hailing frequencies are open at 972-763-5903. Tribble wrangling provided by Triskelion Trays. No troublesome tribbles. Mr. Aponte's wardrobe provided courtesy of Garrick's Clothiers, conveniently located on the promenade. 